0: Hello everybody, welcome to this latest episode of the Drum Network podcast. I'm the editor of the Drum Network, Chris Sutcliffe. This time we're taking a look at all the opportunities around gaming for marketers. At the time of recording, we've just seen a huge partnership announced between Ford and the popular esports game Rocket League. And over the course of the pandemic, we've seen games like Animal Crossing become the hub for very upmarket brands who want to get their content and their advertising materials out to people in a way that really speaks to how people are spending their time. So to discuss that, we're joined by Christian Perrins, who's the Head of Strategy at Waste to go over all the opportunities for marketers and where he thinks the gaming industry is gonna go in the near future. I began by asking him to explain where he's from and what his expertise is.
1: Okay, so hi Chris, I'm Christian Perrins, Head of Strategy at Waste. Uh, We're an independent creative agency uh, with offices in London and LA. We actually turned 15 this June. Nice. Um so we're getting on a bit. Uh but our first client ever was Sega and we've built a sort of entertainment and particularly gaming focus since then. Um so hopefully that qualifies me for this.
0: <laughs> no, definitely. And I suppose god over the last 15 years the gaming industry has just it's boomed you know, the most lucrative entertainment medium in the world, countless opportunities now for advertisers and brands. So you were really sort of made the right bet on where to be.
1: We did as much by luck and sort of passion as by judgment, but you're right. I mean, the the, the landscape shifted massively, not least of which in the last sort of 12 months, as I'm sure we'll talk about, but yeah, we were in the right place and we've, we've definitely observed, you know, a shift from kind of traditional launch marketing, you know, Thunderclap acquisition moments, which still have a place, but much more to a, a lifetime value and retention model for not just the obvious mobile games as a service titles, but you know bigger AAA games as well. You know, it, it's a different business now and it is about lifetime value rather than those one-off God. conversions
0: yeah absolutely that sort of you know games as a service was sort of i suppose it was a uh, a term that came and went as it sort of became just the norm for the industry but the idea that you can have that kind of that lifetime relationship with consumers and gamers in particular is something that should be i suppose exciting for anybody who wants to actually reach that lucrative audience
1: exactly uh, and it's not you know the, the service or subscription or you know um, ongoing relationship isn't unique to gaming either as you as i'm sure you know but i think with gamers, uh, it's a mixed conversation. Not, not every gamer loves the idea of having to consistently pay for microtransactions. Mm-hmm. Um, some would rather have a box title with a fixed kind of shelf life, and, and that's fine. But there's no question, that even for a triple A game, as I say, building a long-term brand and community for any game is kind of the key. Uh, uh, I mean, t- across all marketing verticals, really, I think. But gaming's just probably leading the charge.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh one of the things that we've seen most recently is you know we'll 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 get into what's happened over the last twelve months in a in a little bit, but over the last couple of years, the gaming audience has become much more broad you know as people who wouldn't probably even consider themselves gamers have really entered this market space so what does the modern gaming audience look like <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, as, as a dutiful head of strategy, I obviously look at all of the taxonomies and segmentation studies that come in, and there's some great stuff. New Zoo, I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walk, Facebook just did an update, um, which I think you talked about on your podcast recently, Chris. So yeah, we did. Yeah, um, the, there are the, there's the demographic conversation, which is one thing. But as a good creative planner, I'm interested in what motivates gamers and what are their play styles more than i am in the demographics and i think when you talk about a modern gaming audience that's the way to look at it and certainly as we segment for our clients we think in terms of what motivates this tribe to play the game or a specific genre versus another tribe uh, you know are they playing purely on mobile in this this kind of new versioning you know let, let's face it most of the growth is coming from mobile um, and that—that's the new gaming audience—is a, is a mobile audience primarily, although that has some bleed over into other consoles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if we understand that they're uh, casual um, and that they have a, a lighter relationship with with the gaming market, um, that's very distinct from a, a heart someone that actively identifies as a gamer, kind of gaming lifestylist, mm-hmm. who is very sensitive to the world of branding and kind of brand intrusions and has a and in more of an emotional relationship. So there's a continuum there. And I think that, that's what you need to understand is how deep is the relationship and how appropriate is a brand incursion for those different <laughs> segments?
0: Yeah, certainly. Uh, you mentioned mobile there and this kind of this growth in the, in the mobile cohort. To what extent is that audience more habituated to seeing advertising alongside games as well as kind of advertising for games?
1: Yeah, I think for, for any audience that plays free to play, it's it's fairly normalised, isn't it, to have in-game ads, reward videos, or you know the the value exchange is fairly transparent, isn't it? You know we'll give you the game for free, but um, there's a commercial imperative that you'll click on some ads, maybe watch some videos, maybe um, buy a product, even there's a sort of finishing marketing. Not all mobile um, publishers do that, so. I probably will end up sounding like a supercell fanboy through <laughs> the course of this because it's one of our main sites. but so you won't see any games in in supercell, uh, sorry any ads in mobile in, in supercell games but um that's fairly unique but there's a there's a brand trust there and they monetize in a slightly different way but yes you're right casual casual mobile game I think is quite normalized but you know a, a pay to play game uh, even a mobile game like you know, FIFA mobile for example has a box price and therefore, additional advertising that's intrusive is probably a bit less welcome because they, the value exchanges are paid for this game, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but an in-game branding experience or a brand that turns up to enhance the game or you know add to the immersion and the realism, I think they're probably much more tolerant of that.
0: Yeah, we mentioned it actually in the in the Facebook one, the, the, uh, the example of Street Fighter V, which as you mentioned is kind of retail box copy. You pay for this game up front and then they started doing brand partnerships and ads would appear before each match. And that had such a big backlash from the players. I remember I, I was playing it at the time and it was so intrusive. So there is that. I suppose that there's definitely a balancing act between what is acceptable on mobile and what is beginning to bleed over into console games.
1: I think so. I think so, Chris. You think it's just understanding the culture of the game and the level of emotional attachment and figuring out if slapping your brand as wallpaper is appropriate mm-hmm. or if you can treat you know gaming rather than as a media channel, like a brand experience channel. So how can we find a brand, a game partner where we can add to the experience, add value, do something genuinely interesting and useful for the audience. So that those, especially those hard hardcore players actually appreciate us being there and you know, that have hugely beneficial impact rather than the exact opposite. Uh, you know, just pissing them off and getting <laughs> negative <laughs> footprint.
0: Well, you know, one thing that's actually just left to mind is I, I'm a big uh, Rocket League player and they've just did a big brand partnership with Hot Wheels. And that, to me, it's never felt intrusive, it's always felt completely appropriate, even though, you know, there is advertising plastered all over some of these maps now, because it's, you know, primarily it's a game about kind of acrobatic cars, so it's always never, it's never felt like it's intrusive to me. That, that to me, seems like that's actually adding value to both brand and gaming audience.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a great example. I mean, me too. Petrolhead, love Rocket League, love cars. Used to play with Hot Wheels as a kid. So demographically, (laughs) attitudinally, it's ticking all the boxes. It makes sense. You know, um, the Battle Royale games have been very smart. They they figured out, Fortnite's the obvious example, I'm sure Mm -hmm. we'll mention that at some point. They've got these massive arenas that are yeah, social spaces. But if they pick their cultural partners, you know, Trevor Scott again being the obvious example, mm-hmm. that's an exciting thing for the audience. It doesn't feel intrusive. There's a there's a value to that as well.
0: Well, that leads neatly on to our next question then, which is, what are some of the best collaborations between you know brands, publishers, platforms that you've seen? You mentioned Fortnite there, and it's it's been a while since I played that, but I remember the kind of the excitement around, like you said, Travis Scott, and when they premiered a kind of Force Awaken, not Force Awaken, uh, Rise of Skywalker sort of teaser trailer in that. So, what have been some of those really good brand extensions that you've seen going into the gaming space?
1: um I think for me, again, as a high-minded strategist, I can't give you a simple answer. So mm-hmm. forgive me. <laughs> I, I love to see an example of of what what's what we call cultural imprinting so you know the, this idea that an ad can influence an individual is increasingly you know questioned but when when a piece of brand exercise or marketing affects the kind of landscape of cultural meaning so loads of people were there they know they experienced it together and it becomes a kind of cultural reference point like that travis scott um you know event that's the stuff that i find as a, a kind of marketer much more interesting and because i work in an agency of 75 Gamers, I can see when that's happened because it's all over our Slack. It's all, i mean, it used to be around the water cooler, and now it's just around Slack. But I, I can hear it. So when AOC, you know, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she she went live on Twitch last October and played Among Us. Now I know this is this is political marketing, but she's a brand, obviously, on some in some <laughs> sense. She played the game really well, and she talked, kind of sparred with people that were in in that session. She had four hundred thousand concurrents in there. And then afterwards, a much bigger footprint of people you know, talking about it. I thought that was really interesting, because 12, 13 years ago, Obama had put billboards in Burnout Paradise for EA, yeah. for, his, for his campaign. And here we are 12 years later, and it's this much more sophisticated, direct one-to-one. She's actually in there talking to the player. So that one definitely um, ticks boxes for me. Um, I could cite one more example that I loved. In a similar vein, was when Wendy's kind of hacked Fortnite and went around on a freezer destruction rampage. You might have seen that a few years ago uh, because they famously don't serve frozen burgers. So that wasn't even an official partnership. They just did it. And then (laughs) the streaming universe noticed and sort of the exact antonym to um, the Burger King piece, the way they hacked Twitch donations last year yeah, um, and kind of got the opposite reaction. So all of these show me that, you you know, cultural understanding and kind of the nuance and tonality of the community is the thing you've got to understand if you're going to dive in there. You know.
0: So from that strategy point of view, then when you think about sort of, you know, the, the, the podcast is called Gucci and Gaming, and that's in part because, you know, we've seen a lot of these very high value fashion brands begin to not intrude, but really begin to put their content for free in games like Animal Crossing. So to what extent was that a sort of a successful extension of the brand because it got people talking outside of the gaming industry, it got coverage on The Drum, it got coverage on a bunch of the other trade press as well, so to what extent was that marketing that was successful not just because of the medium but because of how it was done?
1: Um, I think it was done well. Again, Nintendo is a client of ours and we've we've been marketing Switch with them for a few years and we actually, we we jumped in there uh, as waste, I don't know if you know that, but we we had our agency in Animal Crossing on an island right. uh, attracting um, interns to come and apply for an internship. <laughs>
0: That's a good idea.
1: It was cool. And um, I think that example and the examples you cite, the kind of the fashion brands, the, most of the ones I've seen, when they're done, again, with detailed understanding, so they understand how a dodo code works, they have mm-hmm. people actively on the island talking to the people that come along to grab the, the clothing range. When it's done with that kind of depth, rather than, again, throwing money at it, I think the community love it because Animal Crossing is such an interesting example of a game that when it broke out of the traditional console game it attracted new gamers, a lot of families, a lot of adults and parents were playing that game as well as you know, your, your more traditional young audience. And they're all in there during the lockdown period craving, you know, uh, community craving some sort of norm- normalised ritual, some sense of completion some task completion just like it was a mental health thing i think i think that was what's was behind part of the explosion oh, and so yeah. normalizing a, a real world fashion brand in that world when you can't go to the bloomin shops and get a jacket it's kind of yeah it's kind of genius isn't
0: it yeah definitely i mean i was when you said it, you know it was a mental health thing i i tweeted that a couple of weeks ago actually i think i would have gone completely stir crazy had it not been for. Social interactions I had in Animal Crossing, on Rocket League, you know, playing with my brothers on Warzone. Um, it's it's a lifestyle, effectively gaming, isn't it? It's it's consumption of a medium in much the same way that people would say they're fans of reading. Now, it's integral to a lot of people's personalities.
1: It it really is, and even those that don't actively identify as a gamer, you know, we, I do a lot of talking to games, obviously part of my job. And <laughs> as soon as you dive under that surface of denial, they realise, <laughs> in, in, you know, they have a. a, a a Eureka moment, they go, oh, God, I am a gamer, aren't I? I'm playing six, six hours a day. I mean, for me, I, I play um, Forza online with my dad, pretty much on the daily, uh, right. after, after a hard day's head of strategizing, yeah. And uh, <laughs> we've both got wheels and seats and gearboxes, proper geeky stuff. And we can obviously voice chat um, while we're racing each other. And that's the most quality time I've ever had with my dad, genuinely. Yeah. <laughs>
0: No, I completely agree. I mean, that takes me back to you know playing Lotus Turbo Challenge on the Amiga with my dad. It's you know It really is a kind of ritual part of people's lives now. And I suppose that's why we've got to be so careful about actually having poorly thought out and poorly executed brand intrusions into that space, because the backlash can be so severe.
1: Exactly. I couldn't have put it better myself. You're singing for my hymn.
0: <laughs> so then I suppose... How has the rise of live streaming, because, you know, gaming is now intrinsically social and a p- big part of that is is kind of, you know, these live streaming experiences. How has the rise of live streaming and esports really enabled greater interaction between gaming audiences, brands and creators themselves? Uh, another biggie. <laughs> I,
1: mean, I mean, the numbers are obviously the thing that turns everyone's heads, you know, media agencies, brands with media budgets see was it 4.7 billion Twitch hours in Q3 last year. Unreal. 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 That's a vast amount of time and I think so that's the first headline is
0: and only about half of those with me. So
1: Well there fun. you go. I mean, you know, have a day off mate. Uh, <laughs> you, you look at that number and you think that's time spent with a, a creator or a streamer and if they're promoting a specific game or if they're powered by a certain brand, that's time spent with the brand. And that's pretty unique. Then you go okay, well who's the audience? It's Primarily a young audience, and these are ad avoiders, and so you've got the other kind of epiphany which is, it's it's duration of time spent with a young ad avoiding audience, so it's kind of the holy grail um of for for brands and then you, you start to about well, why are they spending so much time um looking at streams and we've dived into this a lot for our clients and what we've come to is it's it's the unexpected moments that drive that watch time and that, that mm-hmm. depth of time, so the top streaming games league of legends. Among Us, Fortnite, Minecraft, they all deliver in different ways. Fairly unexpected entertainment, as well as the education of seeing like a best-in-class gamer play the game. Mm. Minecraft is procedurally generated. You don't know what you're gonna see. Fortnite has that meta of 100 to 1 Battle Royale. Among Us, you've got, who's sus? There's this, you don't know what you're gonna watch. And for a young audience who kind of hate heavily editorialized TV and content and even film, this real raw uh, experience we'll keep them keep them there for hours so as a brand you've got a unique opportunity to have a long time spent with an audience via you know this this influencer partnership and and that's what's key i think is brands certainly for us it's gaming brands primarily building relationships with these uh, creators and streamers mm. i'm, I'm loath to call them influencers because i think the, the best ones are there you know by merit rather than just yeah. to to look for influence um and if you can build that trust you can you can you can have a fairly sophisticated relationship with them where you're working with them for years, not just for, for a launch. And that they're, they're, you know, talking about your product in ways, you can't, you don't have the credibility as the brand owner. Uh, and that's, that's pretty amazing, actually.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I really like the idea that you've you know described that as kind of the livestream you've been predicated on this emergent narrative that you wouldn't get with a particularly kind of formalized relationship. You know, some of the some of the best moments I've ever had on Twitch have been with people who weren't necessarily best in class of, uh, in gaming, but something unbelievable happened because of kind of the the hecticness, the randomness of that kind of the game they were playing, and it's it's difficult for me to see how a brand could you know it, it get into that and. Try to really put a framework around it and not have it sort of detract from that. So for live streaming, then is a kind of brand partnership with the creator itself the way to go?
1: Well, yes. For, from from the point of view of a guy who markets games, that's that's the way. You know, it's building long term relationships. That kind of again, bang on about the value exchange and lifetime value, but they are the keys, I think. And. Supercell again, fanboy time, that they've built a best-in-class creator program um, with streamers and YouTubers, uh, with years of time building trust, giving them the, the creators exclusive intel, giving them content, essentially fueling their channel or their stream with content and collateral, which builds their audience. And then the value exchange goes the other way. They're giving Supercell reach and, you know, authenticity that they can't buy uh, and then it goes another layer further, they, they've got a very transparent payment system, so creator codes in-game, the players can donate currency, which costs them nothing, they've earned it in-game, and that's turned into real money by Supercell, uh, who are happy to pay it, because it's equivalent to a, a sort of traditional media spend, but it, it's not hashtag ads, it's it's juicy content, and that's been building a building over years, so yeah, I think you have to think long-term, you have to think build the trust, and you have to think yeah, two way, two-way value.
0: Yeah, definitely. You mentioned right at the start that sort of you were, you know, in the right place at the right time, partly because of you know intent and partly because of luck. So, how is your own sort of how is how is waste really taking advantage of those changes? Is it much more of a I suppose consultation based thing now with brands, or is it still kind of the bread and butter agency work that we'd associate with you know creative campaigns?
1: That's that's a really good question. I think we are so consultation. On a strategic level has increased massively so being really honest the strategy department 15 years ago was me right I mm. uh, i have a team of eight and nice. we're monitoring community sentiment we're looking at macro and micro trends we're talking to gamers daily and we have brands not just gaming brands but you know games from other verticals the music industry the fast food industry come to us inbound because they want to understand that audience. And, you know, being first mover advantage, being there for 15 years, you know, that, that's something we can uh, be very proud of and we can sort of talk about gaming and the changes in gaming with, well, you can judge for yourself, but with a reasonable <laughs> amount of authority. Um, and then I guess the other shift, Chris, is is really having a point of view on, on the, the direction. And it, and it does boil down to what we have both, I think, uh, aligned on, which is that it's a value exchange of brands powering fans and the fans power the brands and the brands power the fans and it's a a lifetime value model and that's really what waste offers now it's we will do launch marketing you know we'll do those big thunderclap moments but our stock in trade is in retention and lifetime value and building fan power essentially you know fan power is an amazing thing if you can turn a user into a fan someone that is more valuable you know more of an advocate more loyal spends more um, we'll recommend you, we'll endure the odd misstep, you know, if you make a mistake as a brand and and we'll co-create with you. We'll give you insight and input and feel, part, you know, participatory in, in the development of the brand and the product. That's, for me, the holy grail of, of modern marketing. And I think that's
0: nice. Fantastic. And, you know, we, we've mentioned the past 12 months have been transformative for gaming. A lot of more people have sort of taken it up. We've seen a lot, uh, slightly older cohort sort of really join that space. But to what extent are the habits that people have formed during lockdown going to persist, do you think? How much of this is something that advertisers can take advantage of in the long term?
1: I don't know. <clears throat> I think it would be ridiculous to make any assumption, but my gut, yeah, true. <laughs> my, my gut tells me that some of the pickup on mobile gaming will be casual and therefore ephemeral, <clears throat> but some games are pretty sticky. And, you know, a lot of that new newfound gaming is, is in puzzle gaming, as I'm sure you know, it's the... Candy Crush, uh, Homescapes, Lily's Garden, Hay Pop, just plug soup's all there, um, it, it, it's in that world. And actually those games are pretty addictive now. Does that mean there'll be a gateway to, you know, console gaming and, and deep immersive gaming? Probably not for the majority. Um, and I think the eSports bubble, so there was a massive spike in eSports with, you know, the Formula One suddenly became virtual racing was on was on sky and yeah, you know, i thought it was fantastic but not a huge amount of that audience has stuck around from what i know uh subsequently but a, but a few have so i think i think there's always a kind of returning back to a normalized level of kind of the, the deeper gaming engagement um and the casual gaming i think yeah we'll see
0: so that's i think that's really interesting uh it, it sounds like you know you're completely right that nobody can exactly say how this is going to shake out in terms of you know who's going to stick around but for the future, then, do you think that this is that the end that the medium is going to continue to grow? And you know, we've seen massive diversification in not just the types of games, but kind of you know the the invention of new formats like battle royale over the last couple of years. So, to what extent, then, do you think that this is going to be a growth market for the foreseeable future? Uh,
1: I think that's fairly predictable. I think gaming represents the kind of um, and gaming content in, in, in the ways we talked about, you know, very authentic and unplanned and raw, represents everything that younger consumers or consumers of content want. So it's interactive, you know, it's ritualised, um, it's rewarding, it, it just does things that old form, old school passive broadcast entertainment doesn't do. So I think gaming is only going to go from strength to strength. And it, it's those brands, gaming brands and, you know, non gaming brands that can, that can go deep Uh, emotionally with with their players that will uh, reap the biggest rewards, I think.